I'm Dylan Stafford, and welcome to Drive Time, UCLA Anderson's podcast about some of the most interesting and ambitious people in our community. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. We've got an, an incredible recent brand new alum, brand new member of the UCLA Anderson Alumni Network, the Wrong Law Class of 2020. Um, Wrong, thanks for thanks for this. It's going to be fun. Definitely, yeah. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, thanks, everyone that's watching. Super excited to to be here. So um, the wrong, uh, you know, I want to appreciate Darcy Hitt, Samantha Holland, Drew Mandenach. We're the four person team who's brought you the 2020 podcasts um, for Drive Time. Uh, we, as you know, we have our summer spotlight series. We asked the graduates of the class of 2020. Uh, if if we could if we could find five people to represent some great perspective on the Anderson class of 2020, what five classmates would you nominate? So we had five nominees, and uh, you've already heard Sophie and Tina and Dominique and Rob, uh, but you haven't heard Thoreau because <laughs> it, it's um, it's now September 25th, so summer is technically a little bit on the wane. Uh, it took us this long to find time with the wrong because he's got a killer brand new job with PwC working in mergers and acquisitions. And uh, he's just he's just a very busy guy. So um, thanks for your patience as an audience that we get to share the wrong with you finally. And Throng, thanks for just working with us to, to get this all set up. So. All right. So let me give you a little bit of an introduction about why I'm so thrilled. So you're about to hear from a double Bruin. Uh, Throng has an undergraduate degree from UCLA, a BS in chemical engineering, and of course, as I said, he's an Anderson 2020 graduate. Uh, he is a petroleum engineer who has transformed his career. He's very much a switcher when we talk about people reinventing their career narrative. Um, in between his two UCLA degrees, he also has a third degree from a school that is near and dear to my heart. I have a lot of guests, but I don't have anyone who fits the category of having both a UCLA degree and a Texas A&M degree. This, this happens very rarely. So uh, before he came back to Anderson Throng, went down to College Station in Texas and earned a 4.0 in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M. Um, he leveraged UCLA Anderson to launch a brand new career, as I said, working in M&A advisory at PwC. He was our FEMBA Council President, which might be, of course, part of why he was nominated. He's also just a really wonderful person. In addition to all this intellectual and career stuff, I loved going to FEMBA Council last year at Theron because you just, you really created a wonderful space. You know, the big birthday celebrations that you did each quarter and you're very creative and you brought, I think all three years, you know, the leadership out of all three class years, plus you ran a great executive committee. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's great to welcome you back. It's great to get to Zoom with you. And, um, you know, we waited all summer to find out your story. And um, I, I think everybody's going to get to hear a lot about how to do FEMBA, how to do extracurricular, how to do a career switch, how to take a very established career and, um, and, and, and reinvent yourself into something brand new. So, um, yeah, officially, thank you for being here. Definitely, definitely. Thank you, guys. Thanks for that warm, warm introduction. And, and yeah, super excited to, to be here. And and to, yeah, share share some of my stories and experiences. And uh, we have we have a few um, slides. We'll just kind of weave those in and out as we go through. Mm -hmm. Pictures are often worth a thousand words. Um, so you know, for people who haven't, you know, or even if they think they know you, you know, tell us about your family, your upbringing. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about about your 
start in life? Sure. So um, I was born in, in New Delhi um, in India, and I lived there in India till I was 12 and then moved to the U.S., uh, grew up in the U.S. in the Bay Area, and really kind of, you know, through the early years, some of the things that, that really stuck out to me were the role models that I had. So my parents um, had had some great, great role models there in terms of, you know, focusing on academics, uh, living a healthy, healthy lifestyle, and started to find my, my interest in, in both math and science uh, at a young age. I always liked playing, you know, as a kid with Legos. Uh, Dragon Ball Z was one of my favorite uh, TV shows growing up. And as, as I kind of went into high school, right, the decision started to, to go into which, which kind of career path you want to go into. Um, talked to a few people. I remember uh, some of my biology teachers, even in, in both middle school and high school, got me really excited of the, of the concept of like photosynthesis and, you know, how just you think of the natural equilibrium, how the world works and energy supply, demand and, and you know, respiration versus metabolism and all those things really got me going down the path of, oh, chemical engineering sounds really cool, and I want to learn more about how things work. Uh, getting into UCLA was, was one of my, my dreams for sure. Um, I knew a lot of the stories of like Coach Wooden uh, about the UCLA basketball teams, and then also just a strong academic program and all the, you know, brick steps and Jan and, and Royce Hall and, and all those things. So uh, fast forward into UCLA really enjoyed my experience, decided to then go into oil and gas uh, and started working there for several years. And like you alluded to, decided to get you know, a master's in, in petroleum engineering, went to A&M. So A&M actually was, was a very simple choice. And looking back, um, I wanted to go get a master's in engineering. I knew I, I liked uh, the industry I was in and, and decided where else to learn oil and gas than, than in Texas. Okay. Um, and then it came down to basically UT and, and A&M. Um, and just, uh, yeah, yeah. So we, people have been, been down that path, I'm sure. Um, for me, it was, a lot of it was the school culture, the, the traditions, right, fish camp and, and on those kinds of things. And then also seeing what some of the professors and faculties, the work that they had done uh, within the program and the department, uh, those things stuck out to me. And then, and then being part of the SEC was, was something pretty cool. Um, I got into watch uh, Johnny Menzel playing, playing at A&M back, I think it was 20, 2014. So uh, definitely wanted to, to follow in and then see what the whole hype was. And SEC football is definitely no joke. It's fun. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That, and that's so, yeah. Cause I mean, you get two very rich traditions, UCLA, Texas A&M. Those are, those are schools with very active and deep alumni. So, um, and then what brought your parents or what brought your family? You were 12. So that's, that's cool. Cause you still remember New Delhi, right? Yeah, definitely. Got a lot of fond memories of, of India and Delhi. And then my parents actually moved to Bangalore as well. So I lived there for, for several years. Um, and currently they actually are, are back in India now. So they've oh, they been don't. back since, uh, since 2007. So it's been, it's been, a, it's been a, nice a nice blend of having both cultures and both kind of experiences. Um, and as far as what they were doing and why we came, uh, my dad worked kind of in the tech industry. And so Bay Area, right, Silicon Valley was, was definitely a hub. And so we moved, we moved there at that time. Um, and then I decided to yeah, stay, stay in the, in the States. And they decided to, to move back again for, for some job opportunities and, and family, family reasons as well. Uh, it's fun. And it's just 12 hours difference. So seven in the morning here, <laughs> seven at night there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coordinating calls ends up being yeah, either, either morning or evening. There's no, there's no afternoons. 
So, you know, here we are, we're September 25th. We're like 10 weeks after graduation, something like that. Um, you know, how's the new job? What, what's a typical day look like at PwC for you right now? As I alluded, you're a very busy guy. You've been working some long hours. Yeah, there, there's definitely no, no two days are the same in consulting. Part of the reason I think anyone decides they want to get into consulting is they like the diversity of, of opportunities, the diversity of experiences, and kind of just the, the variety of clients that they interact with. And for me, it's been, it's been almost getting close to a year now. And it's been, it's been all those things, definitely. It's been um, clients across different time zones. I'm working right now with, with a client in Asia. It's been uh, clients working in different kind of spaces, different sizes. I work with Fortune 500 companies, also work with some private companies that are owned by, by private equity. Um, it's been, you know, working in, in healthcare, working in technology, so semiconductors, as well as, as, well as some of the software, um, the big names that you might have heard of, some of the smaller names as well. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and the PwC people are really what kind of separates, I think, the experience for me. Um, so yeah, all in all, been, been, been a great experience and really kind of trying to soak it all in as I'm still, still learning a lot every single day. Now, when you started FEMBA, of course, apologize, I've forgotten your admission essay. So were you, did you know you wanted to switch coming in the door or were you thinking about enhancing? Yeah, so coming in, I was definitely keeping myself uh, open-minded. I was, I was interested in both enhancing and switching. So it's kind of playing it by ear. Um, as, as we already talked about, had a pretty good background in, in the oil and gas industry, really enjoyed it. Um, I even started a blog in, in the energy industry, kind of talking about some of my experiences. So my initial goal was definitely to, to look at this degree as a way to, to expose myself and give myself opportunities within uh, the firm I was at. And then as I started going through the, the program, I started to realize that, you know, I, I, I'm pretty deep and, and understand one area very well. But when you think of impact, when you think of the broader kind of what's the purpose, what am I trying to get out of the degree, um, getting involved even in some of the leadership opportunities at, at FEMBO and at UCLA, I decided I wanted to try to broaden my, my kind of window um, and then started to look into the career switching with OCR and, and, and those things like that. So came in as an enhancer. That was part of what my essays were, were spoke about, um, but always had the goal kind of in the background that I wanted to have a broader impact. And, and that was a key reason why I wanted to get the MBA. And you, you did a summer internship, right? A year ago, the summer of 19. Right, exactly. So I ended up doing uh, the OCR process the first year and then, or sorry, going into the second year and then ended up, yeah, doing um, an internship with PwC summer of 2019. Um, I lived the FUMBA life for a few months where I was able to accelerate and graduate uh, that December and then started work uh, this January, January, 2020. So even though you're, you're, 10 weeks past graduation, you've actually been working in your new employment, you know, for, you know, most of this year. So if anybody's out there listening, trying to understand the chronology, because it's a little complicated. So, um, and any, you know, so some people listening are going to be in the program. Any advice about, because you, you, you know, you did, you were successful with the on-campus recruiting. That's the acronym OCR for those of you learning all the, all our jargon. Um, you were successful in the internship process. Like anything about either landing that internship or, or really, I mean, not every internship leads to an offer, but yours did. Any, any thoughts you'd want to share with folks about, about your experience on that part of your journey? 
Yeah, so just to make sure I understood correctly, there's two parts there. One was landing the internship and then part two was, was converting. Um, so oh, yeah. so taking that in, in sequence, I think you really have to trust the process. That's probably the, the punchline there. Um, trusting that you know the people that are there supporting you through on-campus recruiting uh, with the career services. So that would be you know Susan, Pam, Jackie, and, and the rest of the team there. They, they've definitely been there, done that. Um, they know what they're talking about definitely want to follow kind of their recommendations. And then the other piece around it is while faculty and, and the staff know kind of how to position you in the right space, uh, so do all the students, right? So MCA, the Management Consulting Association, was also a big resource that, that I leveraged. Um, I partnered a lot with full-timers that have also been through the process. They helped, you know, case uh, and coach us as FEMBAs, and then FEMBAs also help full-timers. So it's a very collaborative experience where you're all kind of learning together on, on what it takes uh, to get that internship and kind of what some of these firms are looking for and how to best position yourself. So I think leveraging the, the, the tools that are available, trusting the process is key. Um, and when you think of someone like me, that was sort of like a triple switcher, I'd say, because I switched, you know, companies, I switched uh, functions, I also switched uh, location. When you think through all three of those, to me, it made sense to take it in like a bite-sized approach. So I do it as an internship and then as a full-time. Um, I also have the luxury of, of having that flexibility. So, so really, yeah, trusting the process was key. And then once you get into the internship, I mean, it was really about focusing on what you can control and, and trying to make the most of the experience, right? I mean, we all, when you make this decision to go as an intern, you give up a, a very, very good job in most cases, right? From whatever you're doing before, you have a clear direction of why you're here, what you're trying to get out of it. Um, so just being focused, being diligent, and then making it a kind of a two-way conversation, not just, you know, what can I do for PwC, but also how is the PwC relationship uh, working for me and how am I interacting with the people, the projects, the, the culture, making sure that that's like the right fit for, for you. Because um, in consulting, you can spend some extended hours, especially when you're working with, with clients, you know, around the world. Um, and so you really have to enjoy what you're doing and, and trying to get get the value that you're trying to get out of the program. So for me, I think it was, it was trusting the process initially and then focusing on what I could control and, and making it a two-way dialogue um, when I was an intern to convert the full-time. And were you part of a cohort? Was it an intern? Was there a group of people coming in as interns together? Yeah, definitely. So PwC, like, like most other uh, big consulting firms, do hire at Anderson in bunches. Um, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, I was part of a cohort of six. And uh, we were spread out across different practices. So not everyone was working in uh, the DDV or, or mergers and acquisitions uh, group. But yeah, across the firm at PwC, we had a cohort of about six people. Nice. And did you know, had you met each other along the way? Or did you meet sort of when you got there? Yeah, a little, little bit of both. So, so mm -hmm. most, I think it was four, yeah, four full-timers and me and another uh, friend of mine that were the, the FEMBAs. So of course I knew, uh, my, my, my friend, like that was in the part of the FEMBA program pretty well. Full-timers I'd met, I'd cased with a couple of them, um, but I didn't yeah. know them in, in that, that well um, through the program. And then now even, you know, as we're all kind of joining the, pro, the, joining the firm as full-time employees, um, definitely like getting to know them a lot better. Uh, and, and, you, and you just continue to grow your network. I mean, Anderson culture is very collaborative. And then I've also met several um, Anderson alums like while I've been at the firm as well. So Definitely, definitely good to have the, the Anderson brand to back you up. Now, when you say that you had cased with them, tell people what, what that represents. Oh, sure. So when you're uh, 
interviewing for a consulting uh, position, and, and this might be the case even for other positions, they usually will have some behavioral questions. Um, and then they also might have something called like a case interview, which is they present a problem uh, or a problem statement similar to what a client may present to, to you know, the firm. And then what they're trying to do is figure out how you would navigate that, that opportunity or that problem statement and come up with uh, some sort of a recommendation based on sort of like a hypothesis driven or data driven uh, approach. And so while you're you know, prepping for the interviews, while you're prepping for the, the transition into consulting, uh, you'll usually like, you know, work with, with, with a group of people to, to help each other prep for these case interviews. Um, and so you give cases to other people where they're kind of responding to you as if you were the interviewer. And then you also uh, practice with your classmates and your friends that as if they were interviewing you. I mean, it, it helps you get kind of the both sides of the picture so you can see how other people are approaching a problem. You can also see where your strengths are, where maybe some areas that you've got to focus on, and then you can leverage OCR to try to try to, you know, help you out with, with the Career Services Center. Thank you for that. You know, and all of this gets, you know, for those of you who are going to get your MBA or you're in the middle of it, you know, this all gets, you kind of learn it as you go, but it's, it's a, there's a process. It's almost like a courtship. How do these, you know, these companies who have their, they can go to the top schools, they can hire the top people. How do they go about selecting people where they can both have the ability to be successful, you know, just the baseline competency set, but also good chemistry and fit. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting journey. And, you know, I, if, if you've got a couple of, you know, engineering degrees, I think, I think what I see for a lot of our STEM folks is that the, uh, the MBA courtship is different than the, the engineering courtship. Um, just it, it's, you're being evaluated maybe on a broader set of competencies that you bring to the table. So, um, uh, you know, it's everybody sort of learn, you know, it's a, and you, you can read about it, but you have to get in there and do the interviews. Did you find that, you know, did your um, why consulting story, you know, did you have to practice a lot or did it come pretty, you know, was it easy to kind of build a storyline from, yes, I've done engineering and I've done it at a high level and I'm, I'm successful at that, but now I want to, I want something new. How, how did you have them see you as a great fit? Definitely. Yeah. So the, to my why for consulting kind of tied into the, to the broader storyline that I was trying to craft for myself and I'm continuing to, to, to work on. And that's really around the journey, journey towards impact. And so when mm -hmm. I thought about, you know, what I had done up until that point and kind of where things were at, it really had been more at an individual contributor role. Uh, when I thought about my career as an engineer, you know, as you're given a project, you kind of focus on that project and, and you're working with others and you're, you know, doing some project management, but it's really more, more centric around like what you are doing as the individual uh, in that, in that organization. And it was great. I loved it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, definitely like highly recommend it to anybody that, that wants to be an engineer. For me though, the next step in my journey was, was how do I make it a broader, broader impact and also kind of get a more influential type, type of opportunity. Um, and that's where the blog started. I also did some teaching along the way at a community college and really started to real figure out that, you know, consulting to me was, was building a skill set, but then also sharing that skill set and, and helping others achieve what their goals are. So whether that's a business, you know, trying to turn itself around, whether that's helping an organization, um, you know, acquire another or, or spin something off, or whether that's helping improve some efficiencies, getting, you know, access to more affordable, like healthcare, whatever the, the answer is, you're helping a, a business kind of solve that problem. 
Um, and you're leveraging a lot of the analytical, technical kind of engineering skills that you built, uh, but layering in some of the business concepts that you'll learn um, as you go. So for me, the why was, was pretty clear. Um, condensing that story down to you know a minute or so was, was the challenge. Um, yeah, so it, was, it wasn't a lack of content. It was more of, of prioritizing the content. Well, and that's, and that's what all that practice is for. So, so and you were obviously successful. And I love how you define yourself as a, as a triple switcher. I switched careers, I switched industries, or I'm sorry, I switched companies, I switched industries, and I switched locations. Um, and for, I, I think I forgot to say this in the introduction. So you're married, you were married during FEMBA, and you were in Bakersfield. So you, you were, you know, a long distance FEMBA during school. How is the transition now that you've, you know, relocated your family down towards the LA basin. How, how's that going? Yeah, it's been, it's been good. Um, so yeah, I definitely was living in Bakersfield prior and, and uh, my fiance at the time, Jasmine, she was also kind of moved in with me. So we were living together, um, definitely preparing and like, you know, planning the wedding and things like that. And then finally at uh, last, last October. So, so October, 2019 is when we decided to, to get married. And by then I'd already oh. moved to LA. And so, so yeah, I got, got married along the process, uh, along the FEMBA journey, which was cool because um, I also met her during my undergrad. So it was kind of a, a full UCLA story there. Um, and in terms oh, of like- she, Is she a Bruin also? Yeah, she's also a double Bruin. So we got four, four Bruin diplomas between the two of us. Lots of, lots of exciting times there. Oh, that's so cool. Is she an engineer or-, or... Uh, she, she did environmental studies and she works, and then she got her master's in public health. So she works at Kaiser uh, right now. Oh, nice. Uh, but, okay. but yeah, it's been it's been great. We've we've known each other for, for a long time. And and that was part of the reason we knew that, you know, L.A. seemed to be a, a place that we, we may want to settle down in. Um, and so so that was part of the of the driver. It wasn't an initial um, driver because I, I quite like Bakersfield. I'm probably maybe one of the few people that will go on the record to say that. Uh, but but I definitely enjoyed uh, the time there, you know, enjoyed the, the people that I met, the people that I worked with. Um, so, so it was a good experience. It's just that LA, I think, offered a little bit different opportunity set. It gave me um, an ability to, to switch in, obviously, into, into a different space that I was interested in. Um, and then also being closer to Jasmine's family, which has been, which has been a lot of fun as well. Um, so those are some of the reasons. And then, I mean, LA, as far as the city goes, you know, it's got a lot more to offer, um, including lots more traffic to offer. So it's just a give and take. I mean, if you're, if you're around UCLA, you know the LA area you kind of know the equation of what you're signing up for. Um, COVID obviously has changed things a little bit with, with what's open, what opportunities are there um, to go explore. But, you know, I'm excited to, for when, when COVID is, is past us and, and we get back into the, in, into the LA lifestyle. Oh, I didn't, I thought you had been married the whole time. I didn't actually realize that you got married during, okay, so at the start of your third year. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I finished the internship and then that, that gap between uh, September and December was, was action tax. So, and now hindsight 2020 is like, yeah, we're, it ended up happening right, right before the pandemic. So, so I guess that was well-planned um, unintentionally. I know folks who can't get their loved ones together. This stuff is crazy. So, all right, but we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. Well, so, so, and you, you didn't, you know, you didn't take classes all the way up to June. You had actually gotten done in December and you'd already started working, but you know, like you can start to reflect back on when I was a student, you know, so, um, now that you're, you know, you're officially graduated and the rest of your class of 2020, you know, what do you miss? Like, as you think about, gosh, I'm just not doing FEMBA anymore. I actually survived and got through and it's in the rearview mirror. What do you miss most about FEMBA so far? Yeah, yeah definitely. 
don't don't tell the faculty I'm saying this, but but definitely wasn't the classes that I missed the most. Um, I didn't miss I didn't miss parts of my classes. I think there was a couple of of classes and lectures that I remember just really really being you know like wow this is so cool that we're learning about you know X Y Z or I had a presentation or communications class where I was like this is great that I'm actually like watching you know how other people present or what kind of approaches they use and and things like that. But uh, the thing I missed the most I think when I when I look back at those hybrid weekends is definitely the the happy hour at Luskin. I think it would be like Sundays after after class or even like Saturday nights uh, where we'd have like Femba events, and, you know, thinking like the Halloween party or thinking about um, end of year grad gala. And then uh, just those Sundays, especially in the fall when, you know, NFL is going on and, and clearly a big sports junkie here. But yeah, just meeting up with everyone, you know, debriefing about the weekend and people are getting ready to take their flights or how are they getting back home. Um, and then just the overall relaxed environment. So I think that's one thing I definitely miss. And then um, even just the camaraderie of, of working with each other, like through the projects. Um, so again, the classroom was right. We learned a lot of things, but when you actually go try things or build some of these like financial models, for example, or, you know, and I think back on, on some of the marketing cases that I had to think through how we would structure it or the casing prep that we, that I'd done a lot of, um, you just miss a lot of those interactions. Um, and so we, I've tried kind of recreating some of those things through, you know, virtual happy hours. Um, I'm heavily involved with kind of the, the board of, of alumni uh, directors here at UCLA. So I've been plugged in there. Um, but yeah, you can't recreate that experience of all collaboratively learning and in, in, in that singular kind of mindset. And even some of the conversations that, that we had or the ideas that we kind of, you know, came up with, uh, thinking through GAP and, and some of the ideas there. Just, yeah, lot, lots of good memories, but the punchline there is it really boiled down to the people. Um, and that's what made the experience, uh, the experience that it was. And that's, and you know, not trying to lead the witness, but you know, we hear that, right? That's what people miss is just the, the energy and the, the shared life overlap and you know, the, the multiplicity of activity. Um, that's what all the alumni surveys, they say, you know, repeatedly that, you know, that's the, you know, people, you know, they're ready to, quit taking final exams and they're ready to get the diploma, but then there's that absence of, of all the activity that, that goes along with FEMBA. So when you, when you think about in the world of kind of peaks and valleys, what are some of the highlights of FEMBA and what were some of the challenging, you know, what were some of the mountaintop moments and then what were some of the valleys that you had to kind of push through? Yeah. So a cu couple of mountaintop moments for, for me, for sure. I think number one was, was having the opportunity to be uh, the council president this, this past year. Um, it was something that, that I was, I remember Leanne, uh, who was the 2018 president, right? I was, in, I was like an internal rep at the time and hearing her speak and kind of some of the visions that she had and, and all the different opportunities. Like, wow, that'd be really cool to like, you know, be able to lead something uh, at, at this capacity with these, you know, highly capable and highly talented uh, set of classmates that, that I'm, I'm a part of. Uh, like, wouldn't that be something? So I remember like those thoughts going through my mind initially, um, even from leadership foundations onwards, and then actually being able to, to go through the process and, and kind of make it and, and, and see how, you know, it's not a me, but it's a we and then how the team can, can succeed. And we kind of alluded to some of those, some of those items earlier, right, about building a more inclusive um, executive board and also more inclusive FEMBA council. We got heavily integrated with uh, the full-time program, the EMBA program, some of these people that I still, you know, keep in touch with. Just that, that experience was, was, was something really special. Uh, and one of the people on this call, actually, Darcy is on, is here as well. And like, she's a big reason why 
Um, it was a success just, again, being part of that, that team and that community of, of FEMBA leaders. Um, so I think that was, that was big. Uh, number one highlight, I would say, is that. I think the second big highlight for me was really the getting the offer for PwC. Um, by the time we kind of had gone through the interview process, it was, you know, we'd, we'd all, all collectively as a class um, that was going through the recruiting journey, I put in a lot of hours, a lot of effort, um, a lot of long and late evenings. And so for me, that was a big, big peak because it just kind of was like, okay, you set yourself out to this goal thing. I thought about it, you know, months ago, but finally got to where I needed to be all the practice. Um, and then finally seeing, okay, you know, I get the call from the partner and it's like, all right, the wrong, like you got the offer. And, and then being able to be like, yes, this is what I wanted to do. This is the offer I'm excited about. And then going out there and, and kind of delivering on it uh, was a very gratifying experience. I think those two FEMBA council and, and the OCR uh, recruiting journey being, being done and with a, with a success, right? So those are the two highlights. I think the, the, the low points when I think back as far as the valleys go, um, definitely like going through the recruiting process was a challenge. Uh, there'd, be, there'd be days, you know, where I would work all day um, and then end up going in the evening to, an, to a recruiting event. You know, that would end by 10 and then I have to drive back. So then you got to factor in, right, Bakersfield. So two hours driving down, two hours coming up. So by the time I go back to bed and then, then repeat the next day. So there's a few weeks that, that, was, that were pretty rough there. Um, so sleep was definitely optional. <laughs> but you have to sleep enough because you want to be safe on the road. So that was, that was definitely a challenging, challenging phase. Um, another challenging piece, I think, for me was, was just figuring out what I wanted to do um, while I was in the program. Like, what is that end goal um, when, you, when you think of career or even like personally? And so going again through that process, you know, being reflective, I spent definitely like a few mo more, more than a few moments trying to think like, what do I want my career to be or what kind of position do I want to aspire to get into? Do I want to continue in management route or do I want to switch careers, et cetera, et cetera. I think some of those um, introspective moments were definitely like challenging because at the time you don't know what the right answer is. And then looking back, you realize there is no wrong answer in some ways because the answer is, is whatever you make of it. Um, so now it doesn't seem as, as daunting or as challenging, uh, but at the time it felt like, like, you know, the entire, everything had to stop and you had to make this one decision before you can move forward. Um, so I think those were some of the, the highs and, and some of the, some of the valleys. I love your phrase, you know, journey of impact, you know, did that, I mean, that's just a, that's a, that's a powerful phrase. Those are, those are good words strung together. They paint a picture. Did that evolve? Did you, did you, was that a good artist borrow, great artist steal? Did you hear that from someone else? Um, you know, do you feel like you already had the seed of that? Or, you know, like, how did that come to be? How you thought about, hey, my name is Throng. I've got this life in front of me. You know, I think whatever else it is, I'd like it to be a journey and I'd like it to make an impact. How did that, that's just a very poetic phrase. I love that. Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So the journey, the journey of impact, I mean, the way it came, came to be is, is when you think through some, some of these introspection moments, honestly, it's like, what are you trying to do? And then when you, when you look forward, sometimes it's harder to paint the picture because you, there's uncertainty and you don't know where things are going. But then when you look back in life, you start to think of like, what are the, the moments or the things that, you know, really made me happy or really made me feel valued as, as a member of, of society. And when I look back in, in kind of my, my storyline, I realized that some of the moments where I felt the, the greatest, you know, joy, satisfaction, uh, even some of the areas where, where I just felt like I was making an impact and like, you know, serving something beyond just myself was in those moments of, of kind of 
being there for others. Um, so I think at a younger age, right, when I think about undergrad at UCLA, um, that was getting involved with Engineers Without Borders. We would build like rainwater tanks in Guatemala. You know, we had like a civil engineer that we worked with. We built CAD designs and drawings and, and then just seeing some of the expression on those people's, you know, faces or just seeing kind of the joy that, that a tank built by, you know, some college kids, how much of an impact that could have. Um, it made all the, all the other pieces seem kind of like almost like, well, th this, is, this is nothing. It's, you take things for granted a lot of times. Um, and then getting that similar feeling when, when I'm, you know, teaching a math class at a community college and, and someone that's, you know, failed a math class in the past, hasn't understood this concept, and then finally, like, gets it because, you know, you're explaining it for the, for the fifth time in a fifth different way and just trying to figure out how can I connect what I know and then, and then help this other person and they finally get it and they ace it on the test, like that joy. Um, thinking about kind of the, the impact that, you know, my sister that, uh, over the years and how excited she's been at times. And then also how it's happened to me, right? So, I mean, I've given examples where I made an impact with someone else, but a lot of people have had impact on me as well. So my parents have talked about, uh, some of my teachers I kind of alluded to, right, with photosynthesis as a kid, um, even through, through the years, like at work, some of the, some of the best friends that I have, actually uh, all three of my groomsmen at my wedding were all uh, coworkers of mine. So, so they're, they're the impact journey. And then, and then of course, the most important person that's having an impact on me today even is, is my wife, Jasmine. And so when you think through that combination, it's like humans helping humans. Um, and that's, to me at least, what, what it's all about. And so when I think of this journey of, of life and I think of what we're, we're all trying to do, it's really about making an impact and, and serving something uh, beyond just yourself. And that was why even coming into UCLA, like I knew right at Anderson, I wanted to get involved in FEMBA Council. I wanted to make a mark there. It wasn't, oh, I'm trying to be president. That's why I'm going to join. It was more of, I'm joined because I want to serve. And then if I can get there, then I can serve more people and have a broader impact. And that's kind of the, the storyline. So as I was thinking about this at, you know, while I was thinking about you consulting, putting the whole story kind of full circle, it was like, well, all these things have made me happy across, you know, decades of my life at this point. So this is something I should do, and, and this is something I should continue to do. And same reason of wanting to do this, right, is, is hopefully someone will hear this story and, and get inspired or get excited or even reach out to me. And, and we, we find another, another touch point, another connection, and, and kind of keep, keep connecting the dots and bringing us together. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of the servant leadership distinction. I just, I just love that. You know, there are a lot of reasons to lead. There are a lot of ways to lead. But I, I always envision you as a, as a very embodying representation of the servant leadership distinction. And I love watching the timeline. I love watching the continuity of leaders through FEMBA Council. So, you know, I was really impressed with your predecessor, Leanne, you know, the work that you guys did on executive board that year to really try to formalize the roles and, and bring some kind of professionalize, I guess, FEMBA Council. And then um, so I appreciated kind of the rigor and the structure that I saw evolving her year. Your year, I really appreciated the tenor and tone. I just, you know, it's like you took that structure. Okay, now we got that handled. Let's let's really have this just be a, you know, use the word inclusive. Let's have this be a, you know, a, I, you know, I, I, I go back to the birthday moment, but it was just like, it was a different way. I've, I've been to 15, 17 years of FEMBA council meetings, and I've never seen that. So takes kind of a lot to surprise me. And I thought, that's cool, right? He's, he's got an eye on the village. He's got an eye on the community. He's got an eye on, and, and yet it didn't, it wasn't the Throng show. It was, it was very, you know, 
it was just it was just very um yeah it was inclusive and now you know god bless megan <laughs> you know she's got to do all this stuff in the covid reality but you know this year's FEMBA council is it's really cool james fang and sarah anderson and you know they're just they're like all right here we go you know it's not a oh i wish it's like what can we do with this and mm -hmm. so I, I like watching that you know so it's I look at your predecessor, I look at your successor and, you know, and, you know, it, it's cool to be integrated into other people's journeys, as you're saying. That's definitely. Great. I mean, and the goal we all have in common here is, is, is it's not about us like individually, like you said, it's about the, the collective spirit and the collective team and, you know, the, what we can do to make the FEMBA brand, the FEMBA program and UCLA Anderson as a whole, you know, stronger than that's something that, that we ought to do. And, yeah, I think for me, a lot of it was around connection uh, with the full-timers, with administration. We kind of had that transition into COVID, right, when, it was, when we think about like February timeframe. Um, so a lot of, <laughs> lot of things happened uh, during the year. And I think the fact that we did it all together um, is probably the thing I'm most, most proud of. Yeah, what a crazy... <laughs> any, um, any advice for people leading large organizations going into a pandemic based on what you... You know, because really your class came together, right? Uh, we had 10 days notice that spring quarter was going to be virtual. Um, you know, a virtual commencement, right? Like that was definitely crisis management. You know, any any takeaways as you reflect back on, you know, because we were asking you guys a lot, like help us make a plan. It's not like anybody had a rule book. We, we really were inventing it. Student leadership, faculty leadership, staff support. We were all trying to figure out together how to, how to have spring quarter even happen baseline and then be decent, you know, as a, as a goal above that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to claim expertise on this subject. I know there's probably people that are way very qualified to answer. This is actually, I think, a, a, an event that I was checking out at Anderson on October 8th, uh, lead, lead, leadership in a crisis. So I'm actually planning on tuning into that to learn from myself. Um, but my, my two cents on it or kind of my experience through it was, was a lot about kind of the, the senior leadership, even at Anderson, right? So when we think about Dean Bernardo, yourself, like Dean Gonzalo, you, the fact that everyone was building an inclusive environment and like hearing from the different perspectives. Um, we did the virtual town hall, which had I think attendance of 270 plus people across the FEMBA program, which was really, really strong. And so, and, and now looking at this as you alluded to what Sarah and, and Megan are doing in James, right? It's not it's not a, oh man, it's kind of like, okay, how do we make the most out of this? Um, and I think taking it in stride, finding kind of those hidden gems of now all of a sudden, right? People are saving all these hours on their commute. They don't have to navigate the 405. Well, that's value added in a different way. And then looking at ways to use technology such as Zoom um, to really make it more collaborative and, and immersive. So I think definitely like working together, uh, being open-minded was another one, right? Not just more with the yes and versus the yes but um, that was something I think I think I picked it up actually with with Professor uh, Fox and Leadership Foundations the yes and um, so, so I think those are the two two big big pieces for me um, and and being willing to learn right so being open also in, in included you being willing to learn and hear from other people because collectively we have a very very strong um, you know set of experiences set of set of ways of approaching things that that can be successful and We've shown now, you know, thinking a few months ahead now, we have delivered on, on, a, on a very quality program. We're continuing to do so. Um, and then the next kind of generation of FEMBA leaders are, are helping partner with, 
with staff and faculty to, to continue to drive it forward. This next question may be a tiny bit out of sequence, um, but uh, you know, you, 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 uh, I'd love to hear about your global immersion experience. This is another thing that's on hold for COVID, but you know, of course it's gonna come back. Um, but let's see, you went to South Africa and then, yeah, tell, tell us about your global immersion experience. Yeah, the global immersion experience was was definitely something I wanted um, when I started the program. It was something I said, oh, like UCLA Anderson has has a global immersion. Like I want to do that. Um, and so for me, it was definitely I'm I'm doing this. And then South Africa actually was was kind of I, I picked the country more than the exact topic. Like topic I was interested in, social entrepreneurship. Definitely like didn't know a lot about it at the time. Know a lot more about it now. Um, so I was I was excited. But really going to South Africa and then also like looking at a country from the business lens as opposed to like a tourism lens uh, mm -hmm. was also important to me. And so that's why I decided to do like an immersion as opposed to an exchange. Um, so with that lens and that approach, yeah, the experience was, was, was fantastic. Um, not only are you surrounded by, you know, a group of people that, that are all, you know, high aspiring, high achieving families such as yourself, but you're spread out across the different years. So I met um, some FEMBAs that were a year senior to me. I also met uh, some full-time students, which were, which were a year senior. I also met some of the EMBAs. So like having a, a diverse group was, was pretty cool. And then another thing that, that I really appreciated was some of those experiences that we had uh, that you only can have like as a group of MBA students. So for one, one, one of those is we got to meet like the French ambassador to the US um, which is which is pretty unique and going to the actual embassy and, and seeing that and, and hearing from from the speaker was was pretty eye-opening um, similarly we had an opportunity to like actually like see how wine is made and like go rent out basically the entire winery and, and hear from the owner about how they established and grew the business that was a very unique experience um, and then we also got to meet the ceo of of a company called pick and pay which is similar to like a target or a walmart uh, in the u.s and hearing how you know, her and her family had kind of transcended through the, the apartheid and, and how they had really made an impact, not just, you know, on the bottom line in terms of profitability, but also in terms of social equity and seeing how those two could be, you know, things that, that work together and, and one can lead to there, not just, you know, I have to donate money to different communities or nonprofits in order to, to kind of move the needle. Um, so that was pretty eye-opening for me and, and kind of reiterated some of these beliefs that we've had and talked about, right, about being inclusive, being a team player, and, and, and really, like, we're, we're stronger together than we are apart. So I think the immersion was, was, was awesome from, from all those, those angles. Um, good food as well. Did a little bit of tourism. Um, so, so, yeah, definitely, definitely highly encourage anyone that's on the fence. Um, and my personal preference would definitely be pick, pick the location you want to experience. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the class, no matter what class you pick, uh, will definitely have value that, that, that you'll, you'll be able to take from it. And did, did Jasmine go? Uh, this one was not with Jasmine. She, she wasn't able to make this, this trip. Um, so I just ended up going by myself, which, which again, there's, I think, two ways to look at that. Going with your spouse can be, can be exciting because it's you're trying things together. Um, however, when you're part of like the educational piece of immersion, mm -hmm. uh, they do try to keep you separated from, you know, people that are in the program versus like guests of the program. So like your spouse. Um, so you have to be okay with that and kind of talk through that. In in my opinion, I was like, you know what, I'd rather go with Jasmine when we can be fully tourists um, yeah. versus having to split, split time. So, so yeah, definitely interested in going back. Um, 
and, and revisiting some of those some of those landmarks that that we, that we wanted to get, go check out. And then you know you used an acronym earlier. I think people know, but you used FUMBA, fully unemployed MBA. So after your internship, you had you knew you were going to work for PwC, so you chose to just have some you know time to you know, exhale a little bit, but you were also somewhere in there, you were a TA for Dean Fracious, right? And you, didn't you go to, where, where did you go with him? Yeah, so with, uh, with Dean Fracious, I was a TA for his uh, France entrepreneurship and immersion class. Ah, okay. um, so that was with, with the EMBA program. So I had a chance to go visit uh, Paris on that trip. And that was another, another really uh, great experience because similar to the immersion Right. We now learned about culture and, and business in, in France. Uh, we had an opportunity to go to some of the universities in Paris and hear from some of the professor, professors. Uh, one cool lecture there was about like the, the how luxury items are branded. And, and I remember like taking away like tidbits there, which I still kind of reference every now and then around why, why is Rolex do what Rolex does? And, you know, if you're the, the gold standard, you don't necessarily want to compare yourself to the peer group, but you want to compare yourself to like something, something much broader and, and deeper. So, there was some cool um, experiences there as well. Definitely learned more about how um, business is conducted in France and, and what some of the similarities are and also some of the differences are when compared to the U.S. Uh, we learned about the tech entrepreneurship scene, uh, again, in both countries, compare and contrast, and, and working and getting to know a group of EMBA students now, because that one was a strictly EMBA class. Um, mm. I was just the FEMBA TA. Um, but that was another very different experience. And again, met a lot of new, new people and, and had, a, had a very, very positive and uh, enriching experience. And then one definitely thing I want to add is, is Dean Gonzalo knows Paris like the back of his hand. Um, he was kind of our tour guide at multiple points, really went above and beyond uh, to make sure that the experience was, was, was very positive. Um, so, so shout out to Dean Fracious for, for being a great, great uh, professor for the class, but then also a great tour guide and, and just all, all inclusive, like knowledge, knowledgeable person on Paris. Yes, I, I got to travel with him on the Hong Kong, the, the trip to Hong Kong. And um, yeah, we went to a couple of very nice meals. So he is a he is a global world traveler. I think he speaks four or five languages and uh, he knows his way around fine dining. He is, he is a wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful person to, to travel with. Um, let's see, and then any, any reflections on your global access program, your, your capstone experience? Yeah, I think, I think when I look back at GAP, um, probably the first thing I took away is, is again, that re reinforcement that, you know, the skills that you're learning at Anderson, the experiences that you have at Anderson and even, even prior, uh, they all can shape up and, and the skills that you're building are very much relevant no matter what the context is, uh, because it's the way you approach uh, some of these business problems. So for example, we were working with a startup based out of uh, Sweden and they were selling uh, custom hats. And I knew nothing about any of those areas, right? I didn't know about much about entrepreneurship, never worked at a startup, didn't know much about uh, the retail industry, specifically even the hat industry. And I didn't know a whole lot about business in Sweden. Um, <laughs> but again, leveraging the experiences that I had, leveraging the experience of our group, uh, we were able to, to definitely have strong conversations, you know, impactful discussions with, with our client, which were, which were the entrepreneurs of, of this hat company. And, and we were able to make a recommendation that was backed with a lot of data and, and clear evidence of why they, they should and shouldn't make certain decisions. Um, and so when I think back over the process, again, right, the, the way GAP is structured, it, it's structured for you to succeed. 
um, at the time, at, at there's certain points where you're like, well, why am I doing all these, you know, interviews or why am I talking to going to these different events or conferences that, that don't seem to pertain exactly to, to the, the key, you know, questions I'm trying to answer. It, it's really about getting the, the background, getting the understanding. Uh, we met with the librarian as well and like leverage some of the UCLA library resources, getting that full understanding and then deep diving to like their specific, you know, challenges and their, their high level question was like, is it worth opening up a brick and mortar store uh, in the US? And while you might initially say, well, that makes no sense because everyone's going into online, everyone's, you know, going digital. Um, there is a case to be made for the brick and mortar. Uh, we just didn't think it was the right time and the opportunity set wasn't, wasn't quite there. Mm -hmm. um, and looking back now, I mean, it, it makes sense that, that they would stay online. Uh, but the but the value add that we were able to provide was not just okay don't move, don't come to the U.S. it's not worth it it's it's you know the U.S. may not be right timing now for these reasons but if you know these additional set of criteria are met and you are in this phase of growth as your as an organization then it does make sense to expand your footprint and get that that physical physical presence as well uh, so I think going a step beyond that's something that that the GAP program helped me kind of understand and then now when I think about PwC and and kind of the consulting. Uh, journey as well, right? It's the advice when you when you talk to clients is not yes and no. It's yes because and no because, or maybe not, you know, maybe and here's why. Or if these conditions happen, then that can happen. So it was a lot about framing the the conversation and and going going one level deeper than just the the initial response. So gap was 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 really good. Um, and then the team that I had or the part of was was also pretty pretty awesome. Uh, we had very different uh, personalities, backgrounds, interests, and I think again, right, that that collection of experience, the diversity of of thought, um, helped give us. There were some tense moments, but it helped ultimately drive us to a decision that I think was beneficial for the for the company, and um, we we got positive feedback from them and also our our faculty advisor. Yeah, I love it. You know, you were born in India, <laughs> you grew up in the Silicon Valley. You're a petro, you know, petro engineer living in Bakersfield, getting an MBA, and now you're consulting a Swedish hat company. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, this is this is a total next step, right? And then to see the transferable, but I'm I'm learning how to deal with complexity. I'm learning to think the way a business leader thinks, and I'm learning to analyze opportunities and challenges the way business leaders analyze opportunities and challenges. That's I love that you know, yes, and no, and maybe if, right, you know, how do you do a, how do you immerse yourself in an unknown and quickly come up to speed such that you can be listened to is always one of my appreciations of the, the, the meta education of gap. Cause you know, you can be on a Swedish company, you could be on an Israeli company, you could be on a, you know, a French company. It, it can vary, but there's this overarching, you know, I'm, I'm here with my, team of trusted MBA compatriots and we're going to add value and, you know, we're walking in the door cold, but we're going to walk out of here with a, you know, an investment quality business recommendation. You know, that's, it's fun to watch it evolve every year. I love that. Well, we're, uh, we're starting to be on the home stretch here. So I got just a couple more. One thing that, um, you know, when I looked up your LinkedIn profile, just see like, what do I, I think I know all about you because it seems like I got a chance to talk with you more than many people because of your FEMBA council leadership. But I, I see that you've served on, on two boards, um, seven years on the Society of Petroleum Engineers and now currently a board member of the Engineering Alumni Association for UCLA 
Samueli School of Engineering and Applied Science. Um, for our students or future students who've not yet been on a board, um, you know, what have you learned from those two experiences and, and what's, what's, what's it like being on a board from your experience and how might you suggest people learn about that world? Definitely. I think there, there's, there's multiple ways to get involved um, in, in boards. Uh, some of the, if you are interested in serving on a board, definitely can, can reach out to organizations that you're passionate about. Um, you can also talk to some of the faculty at, at the program. Like if you're, if you're part of the students, uh, they definitely have a strong network and can get you in touch with, with different people. Um, as far as serving on the board, so for me, yeah, SPE, which is Society of Petroleum Engineers, was, was, a, was a pretty big uh, investment of time and effort, but something that I really wanted to do at the time uh, when I was involved there. And as a board member, you're, you're sort of, again, like a consultant where you're providing input or feedback on where things could go. And then you're also helping shape that, that journey of, of growth. Um, so I got involved with kind of the young professional group. That was the main area that I contributed in. So understanding, you know, if you're someone new that maybe came to Bakersfield or, or was not familiar with the oil industry, didn't have, you know, a lot of generations in, in this industry, like what would it be like for you and how would you adjust and how can we make this experience more, more enriching for you? Um, so looking at it from that lens and then again, thinking back on my own experiences, how I've kind of been through uh, talking to some classmates or classmates as far as, um, students go, but then also like coworkers that I was a part of during, during, the, during the time when I was on that board. Um, that really helped. And, and knowing that there's no wrong answer, right? You, you, you approach things with, with a perspective, um, you justify it with, with some data, and then you're able to then you know, test the hypothesis and see if it works. So we tried some events, some of them were successful, some of them were not as successful. And so then you repeat the ones that were, and you kind of you know, pivot on the ones that weren't. Um, and when I think back also, like currently with the UCLA Engineering Alumni Association, uh, that one has been a lot more on engagement. Um, so how do we, you know, keep alumni engaged and, and what is the value that we can bring to them, um, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years past, past their UCLA um, degree. And there again, right, you try to figure out who are you targeting or what's the audience that you're kind of going after, what kind of funding do you need? And so we've talked to the dean in terms of like, you know, what kind of resources and support we need. We've also heard from the dean, you know, what kind of resources and supports the students need. Uh, so one example here was recently we had a COVID kind of, you know, lab equipment fund that we, we created um, as alumni and we all pitched in. We kind of helped spread the word and raise, raise awareness for it. Uh, and we're able to then make an impact on, on some of these core kind of labs classes that, that I remember taking and, and I remember like doing some of my titration experiments and things like that, which, you know, you take it for granted now, but, but if someone can't do that now or they have to do it virtually, how do we build an ecosystem such that they can still get the same kind of value out of the program? Um, and then as a board member also, you're constantly like referencing or, or referring back to your own professional experience. So when I thought about COVID also, I was like, well, how's PwC managing this? Or what are we doing? And how are we, you know, keeping our, our collective spirit and, and engagement high? Um, and then kind of transitioning that. So definitely would recommend it. It does tend to take up um, some additional time outside of work hours. So you have to be a little bit flexible there. Um, I, I think when I, when I look back at like what, what, what's in it for me or what have I gained, it's gone back to that, that, you know, friendship is definitely one thing where I've gotten to meet a lot of people. But going back to the journey of impact, where I've, I've spoken to several students, um, I've spoken to several, like even in SPE, 
several people across the world actually on that are working in the industry and kind of comparing notes, best practices, giving some advice, learning from them, kind of that, that two-way dialogue um, that we've kind of referenced over and over that just continues to grow with, with this experience. Well, thank you. I, in, um, in Leadership Foundations, as we welcomed the class of 2023, uh, you know, I used the, you know, congratulations, you've been promoted, you're CEO of your own life, and, and then, you know, you have this board, you know, your fall quarter group mates are your trusted board of advisors, your board of directors, if you want to, you know, it's a metaphor, but it's, it's available that you can relate to these folks as competition, eh, or you can relate to these folks as, wow, this is my collaborative, this is my support group, and that every CEO wants to have a strong board, wants to receive. So I'm using it as a metaphor, but, you know, I, I wanted to kind of hear your your actual experience serving on those two boards. So thank you for, is that Dean Murthy down at Samuel? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 Dean Murthy, exactly. Yeah, she's great, she's great. Um, I'm on a project with her about leadership. Um, so these last couple of questions, and then if, we, if you wanna show some of your, your slides, you know, we, can, we can do that too. These are maybe non sequiturs, so I apologize for the kind of bump. Um, you know, what advice, you know, as a person who was engaged, you know, long-term relationship, I've known Jasmine since undergrad, and you actually got married. So for people who are married, going to get married, committed relation, you know, have a, have a committed other, any advice for making, because FEMBA takes a lot of time, bottom, bottom line, you know, how, how do you maintain, and it doesn't have to be that sort of husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, committed partner. It could also be a brother, a sister, a best friend, family members, you know, just about how to, how to have your first circle pre-FEMBA people nurtured as you go through FEMBA? Any, any advice about that kind of balance? So communication was, was pretty key and, and I learned that a little bit the hard way to be honest there. Um, definitely you need to let people know like what the time commitments are. So specifically with, with Jasmine here, but, but for everyone else it can be their own circumstance. But for me, I didn't know what the time commitment would be. You kind of know high level, but you don't really know until you get into the program. And so we'd make, you know, plans to do certain things or we'd make plans to, to go certain places and then last minute I have to change them or, or things would go south and like, hey, I can't do that anymore. So that was a little bit of a learning curve for me was, was don't overcommit and under deliver, right? That you never want to be in that, in that situation. Um, so that was, that was one piece, but a lot of it is, is just you prioritizing like what's most important to you. Um, and so when I thought about it, right, it was, it was for me, like Friday nights ended up being a time where I wanted to just spend time with, with her, especially on the weekends that I'd be in class or in school all day, Saturday and Sunday uh, for the hybrid weekend. And then for the weekends that weren't hybrid weekends, you know, if I wasn't studying for a test or didn't have a midterm or something major going on, uh, we would try to go out at least for like a day trip or we'd get out of town for the weekend and like just do something, the two of us. Um, or even if it was like getting a dinner with, with another couple or some friends. So we, we tried to, to, to balance out like what is part of quote unquote FEMBA time and then what's, what's not. And then outside of just Jasmine, friends, relationships, a lot of it is just you find out there, there's a lot more bandwidth you have within your own day, right? So for me, I talked about it earlier with the sports junkie part. Um, so yeah, instead of watching the whole Lakers game, I would only watch the fourth quarter, right? Instead of watching football all day Sunday, it was more like watching game pass the next day. So you yeah. find ways to, to try to, you know, cut time out from things that are not so important at, at that point in your life. Um, and then you reintroduce them back as, as things change. So 
even the board, some of my board involvement was was not the highest it's ever been uh, during FEMBA. And, and that was okay. Again, communicate to them, let them know where you're, you're coming from, uh, why you're in the situation that you're in and, and, and what your priorities are. Uh, when I was recruiting for, for consulting, I don't think I was doing doing much of anything else, right? Even some of my classwork may not have been like top of mind because again, this was a, a journey, the switch that I wanted to make and was investing a lot of time and effort into it. Um, but that but that time comes and then that time goes and then when it goes, you, you find ways to, to prioritize things that are most important again. So, so two takeaways there as far as balancing. Number one, prioritize your time. And then number two, uh, for those that you are prioritizing your time with, make sure you communicate with them clearly so, so you're both aligned on, on what the expectations and kind of what the situation and circumstances are. Yeah. And she married you anyway. <laughs> even as you're, yeah, despite that, despite that, exactly. Even as you're, you know, it's, and learning to be an executive is learning to live with demands on one's time. And, and I think that's part of the stair step, right? Every MBA, full-time, part-time executive, we're all on that same, you know, there's an upward trajectory for everybody. You know, I, I want to be on a journey of impact. And if you're the president, if you're the CEO, if you're the C-suite person, your personal life, you can't just not have a personal life. That's unsustainable. And, you know, and where do you, where do you draw the line? What do I do? What do I delegate? And then, you know, and then definitely how do I get smarter with my time? That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eight hours of football is a luxury that you don't have as much if you're in a committed relationship and doing FEMBA and being on boards and reinventing your career and, you know, doing two global emergents, right? Something's got to mm -hmm. give. Exactly. Uh, again. Oh, excuse me. No, no, that, I, was, I was reiterating and saying, yep, totally agree and aligned. Okay, so this one's possibly also a non sequitur. The big question people ask, you know, tell me about the ROI of FEMBA, right? And I always feel like a goof trying to answer that in a, in a you know, dean of admissions hat, because I think it's, it's a very complicated question. Um, but people ask it. So I want to ask you, as you now look at this, you've done it, you know, you're going to, whatever your loan obligation is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Right now you got to pay that back. So here you are, um, you've gotten the degree. It's three and a half months later. If someone asks you, well, what's the ROI on your Anderson MBA? You know, what, what's there for you? How would you answer that question? Yep. I, I would answer it in two ways. One is um, the dollars and cents, which is probably what most people are interested in. Um, and then the second one, which I think is more important to me right now, as I've looked back a little bit longer term, is kind of yeah, the, the person that you are versus the person that you were. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a return there as well. So when you talk dollars and cents, I think right now I'm definitely uh, in the negative, right? So when I, when I look at the, time, the cost of time put in, uh, the dollars spent, and then kind of where things are, the payback, all those things. Um, yeah, the ROI is not, not good from a dollars and cent perspective and definitely not good from a time perspective either. But when I look at what I'm trying to do and I think about that again, that journey to impact and the journey of impact rather and where I'm heading, right? So we talked about the triple switch. Um, I, would, I would challenge anyone to, to be able to make a triple switch in, in the time period that, that I was able to without an MBA um, at, the, at the level that I was. So I think that's something that, that's pretty unique. Um, I would also challenge someone to be able to find an opportunity to, to lead a group of, of very high achieving and very capable uh, individuals that was done by council in that time period. 
Um, and I would also challenge people to be able to learn and, you know, from not just the faculty group that, that's extremely distinguished at Anderson, but also the peer group, some of the conversations, the lessons learned. We made the, we made the joke earlier, right? You're somebody that grew up in India, like lives in the Bay Area, advising a Swedish company about hats, you know, having worked in oil and gas. So like those kinds of experiences is what really drives the, the, the ROI for me right now. Um, and long-term, I do think that, that even the dollars and cents are, are going to pay off. It, it's a belief that I have. Um, it's something that I'm working towards. And as we all collectively like build our careers, establish our careers, um, the opportunities that may be presented to me down the road uh, would be different than, than if I didn't have the MBA. The network that I have is certainly different, right? Being, being a part of something like this is, is unique. Uh, so so there's, there's lots of ways to, to quantify the intangible piece of the ROI. Um, and that's kind of the justification that I've used. But yeah, if you're looking strictly for the short-term gain, um, then an MBA, you know, especially the FEMBA program, is probably not going to give you the ROI like in an instant. Um, but, but I mean, think about some of the biggest companies in the world, right? Like your Amazon or, or your Apple and, and Microsoft, these tech companies, they didn't have a very great market cap right, on, right out, out of the get-go, but, but they continued in inventing themselves, growing building their capabilities and, and kind of look at where they're at now. So I think it's a long run game. Um, ROI for me is, is kind of measured on both tangible and intangible. I think the short term value has been intangible. And then that intangible value is then going to help the, the tangible ROI down the road. And, and also, you know, you know, just to point out for people who are doing the back of the envelope, you also walk in as a, as a double engineer with a 4.0 master's degree. In, you know, I mean, I remember when I was at AM, everybody wanted to be a petroleum engineer because those were the high paying jobs, right? You also walked in the door with a high floor, right? So you're not going from 55,000 to 150,000, like, you know, other people who have a different career trajectory could do. So, you know, but I love how you're, you're looking at it. But I also wanted to execute a triple switch. And, you know, if I want to be a successful engineer and, you know, retire with acreage outside of Bakersfield, you know, I don't need to go to Anderson, right? Like, and you actually liked Bakersfield, right? So, you know, it, I like to kind of frame it not in, I like to frame it from an abundant point of view versus a scarcity point of view. Um, and I want people to get their darn money's worth because we are asking for six-figure investments from every single FEMBA who walks in the door. So, mm -hmm. you know, I want, I want to answer the question with, you know, information. We're starting to get the salary uptick from your class Susan's given us the, the precept survey information. I think it's like a 33, 37% bump. So it's not quite the bump that the class of 19 had with the 49% bump. But hey, you know, we're in COVID times here. So, you know, but I think she had like, I think the N was 212 or something. So, you know, good substantive response rate and a good solid bump. So, you know, my question back to people is, hey, if you got if you've got a plan to have a 33% salary bump in three years without FEMBA, you know, good on you, right? Most people aren't set up for that. And there's the immediacy of those, those two and a half years, three years, and then there's the longer term gain. And, you know, if you can, if you take the long term slope of your life, if you raise it one degree, right, and then watch that build over time. And, you know, and I watched someone like you who was so involved, you know, with faculty, with students, with alumni, and I just know, you know, you're going to, 
you're going to have not only an increased slope, but you're also going to have those, I call them stair steps, you know, those kind of wow NBA moments. Um, and if Jasmine's happy being closer to her family, you know, happy wife, happy life, there's a little bit of wisdom in that happy partner. It's not a, it's not a gender limited phrase, happy, happy life partner, happy wife, happy life. So, um, can't quite make it rhyme when you do it in a gender open way, but, um, so, and then now this is a, this one, again, non sequitur. You're a double Bruin, right? Your alma mater just got ranked the number one public university in the world for the fourth year in a row. Um, you know, as a Bruin overall, not just limited to Anderson, what makes you most proud of being, you know, one of the 540,000 alumni of UCLA? What are you most proud of as a, as a Bruin out there in the world? I think the thing I'm most proud of as a, as a Bruin is kind of what the, the degree stands for, right? It's, it's not about just the academics or the sports. It's, it's about kind of the excellence and, and kind of the virtues that, that the school kind of embodies. Um, and so when I think about Anderson, when I think about, you know, even uh, Samueli, so the engineering school, they, they both just speak to me about being, being honest and kind of who you are and being driven and accountable to, to yourself and also those, those around you. Um, so one of the big things that I really take away from, from both experiences and UCLA as a whole is it's not just serving itself, but it's serving something beyond itself when it comes to the community. Um, so Dean Bernardo's talked about it. Dean Murthy's talked about it as uh, both, you know, as an undergrad at UCLA, I talked about the engineering without borders experiences. Yeah. Uh, I was also part of the California teach program where I would actually go to a, to a middle school off of Santa Monica Boulevard and like, you know, go there twice in a week and kind of help again, you know, be like kind of the teacher's assistant, um, trying to see how, how that, that, that classroom environment really developed. So that was then um, when I think about the FEMBA experience, I volunteered with a grid solar part of EMG, the energy management group, where we install like solar panels um, on, on rooftops. Um, I was involved a lot with some of the cross campus collaborations that we also were doing with, with Dean Bernardo so to me, like the, the degree is, is a piece of paper, but what it embodies is, is far more. Um, and to have two of them, and then as a household, now we've got four of those papers. Um, it speaks, it speaks a, lo a lot, lot to me and, and kind of just, again, it, it tells me that, that we live in a world that is not just for us, but, but much beyond that, um, right? So using that, again, journey of impact mindset approach and, and kind of continue to follow those footsteps is, is what the degree means to me. And uh, sort of a sub question from that, um, as a double Bruin, what's your what's your favorite John Wooden quote or maxim or point of view from from Coach Wooden? Yeah, yeah. So let me actually share my screen here because it wouldn't be fair to, to to not have a good answer for that without actually sharing my screen. So I think when I when I look back at, at Coach Wooden and and I look back even in my FEMBA Council um, speech that I made when I was running for president, it's really about the team, right? So when I think I look back at, at everything that we've talked about today. I look back even just at the general kind of messaging of, of, of who I am and who I hope to be. It's, it's not about me. It's about we. And so Coach Wooden's like, if you want to go fast, you know, go alone. And if you want to go far, you need a team. That really spoke, spoke volumes to me. And then I also have another quote up here by, uh, by Maya um, Angelou. And the essence of it is really around it's not always what you say, right? Or, or, or they might forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So even, and that goes both ways. Like, I don't exactly remember how I helped that student in, their, in the math class when I was teaching at the community college, 
but I remember how I felt about it, right? I don't remember exactly what I even, some of those high school teachers or influencers told me, but I remember how I felt about those experiences. Same thing with the engineers I've worked. I don't remember exactly what was said at those moments, but I remember how we made the community feel that, that day. Um, so that those two quotes, I think really, really stick out to me. Um, so, so yeah. And then the picture on the, on the left there is, is Jasmine and I getting married. So that was another, another big, big moment in my life. And, you know, my, my number one teammate is definitely her and, and yeah, we're excited to, to see what the future holds for, for both of us together. Oh, what a beautiful gown. Ah, that's fun. So, and you mixed traditions. So you went with a suit, huh? You didn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I went with the suit and then she went with the sari. So yeah, it was definitely a, a bicultural, bicultural event. Oh, I love the I love the fireworks. That's that's so uh, I don't know, it looks a little dangerous from here. I guess there was a there was a safe cushion. <laughs> yeah, there was a safe cushion. It was cold pyro. So I didn't know there was a thing called cold pyro, but yeah, there there there's no there's no safety concerns and yeah, they're they're not flammable either. So it, No, it was, I didn't know quite, that. Quite, oh my god. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where where did you all get married? Uh, so we had we had two two weddings actually we had one in LA which was more with with her family and then uh, this picture actually was in December we went we went to India for New Year's um, to celebrate with with my family and extended family and so this this was a we had we had like a one evening event um, in India as well and so this is a picture from there. Oh, that's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. Oh my. Well, um, let's see. Any other any other pictures that you wanted to share or was this? I know we. Uh, I think that this one, this one is summarizes the the key things. Um, I had I had a few other slides if we want to step into those. I'm um, just talking about my experience and also kind of some of the just general things that I've learned. Right. So I think we've talked about all these. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but around being inclusive, and you've heard that in different examples. Um, I am definitely engaged as an alum, both for the undergrad um, degree, so engineering school, and even now as Anderson, uh, following passions. Right. So we think about the journey of of impact. And then growing the business and acumen skills. So that's we've talked about that as well through the degree. Um, I'm going backwards here, but this was kind of an outline of, of my experience while I was in the program. So it kind of highlights and shows how I took the different jumps and 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 this some some of the key milestones that that I had um, along the way. So I think this is also useful if you're looking at kind of your three-year map, right? Just kind of plotting things out of what you want to do, what some of your goals are. Um, how you get involved with student organizations, how that impacts your career. Um, that was that was definitely something else also to, to share. Oh, and just, yeah, leaving this one up for a second. So I forgot about your accolade. I again, apologize. Uh, Dean's Outstanding Student Award, you know, being the recipient of that there at the top far right on year three. But, you know, this is wonderful. You know, I, this is, I love the, I love the engineer management uh, marriage but you know, for those of you who are STEM undergrad, or um, you know, those of you who are business or econ, like look, look at this. Hey, I could make a map like this, rows and columns. You know, I'm going to have classes. I'm going to have curricular opportunities. The core first half, the elective second half. I'm going to do the global access program, or I'm going to have the choice of business creation option and all of the courses that go with that. Um, you know, I'm going to have nine electives. So you know, you could have a row for your curriculum. You could have a row for your extracurricular. You could have a, a you know the triangles for highlight moments that you want to architect, such as an immersion. You could have you know 
open, you know, like, I don't even know, but I know it's going to be fun. You can leave the room for the wow, surprise me type outcomes that are always part of, of a top tier MBA. I love this. So you got milestones, student organizations, career. So you didn't even, this doesn't even map out in the classroom, right? So, you know, but for those of you who are in the program or considering the program, you know, my best advice to people, plan your work, work your plan, but then stay open-minded, right? Don't be so dialed in that you don't get the chance to say yes as some of these opportunities emerge and evolve around you. But I love this. I love this. Look at that. So there's your prior company, your energy career, and then you see the, the break after year two, which becomes the summer internship with PwC, which then becomes the full-time. That's that's so great. Oh, and oh, you got it branded with share success, think fearlessly, and drive change. Our pillars under undergirding it all. This is Definitely. why you're going to okay. go I, I take some, some things out of my consulting background and my consulting experience. So obviously not drawn to scale, right? Because each year and summer are not the same, the same widths. But, but there you get, you get, it gives, gives a general idea. And yeah, I wanted to kind of also highlight something beyond the classroom because I think Dylan, like you and the team do a great job of, of highlighting what that journey looks like in the classroom with the electives and the core and things like that. Uh, but for me, right, I wanted to talk about some of the organizations that I was involved in. Uh, and I wanted to speak also, and it's not just about quantity, uh, but also of like the quality or the depth that you get involved in some of these. Um, so, so that was, that was pretty cool. And yeah, being, being recognized as, as, the, as the outstanding student was definitely something um, that I was proud of at the time and, and continue to be so. So again, it takes a village as, as to, to quote, to quote your, your phrase there. Um, but, but definitely something that, that I'm excited about and, and glad to have been a part of the FEMBA, FEMBA experience. Well, I love, yeah, pictures are worth a thousand words, you know, consultants get paid a lot to, to take complexity and give us a visual representation of it. Well, um, you know, I've got my, my next to the last question is tell us a favorite productivity hack. And then the last question will really be, you know, parting remarks, thoughts that you'd like to share. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for tips and tricks. So any, anything that is working for you personally, professionally, uh, like a productivity hack that maybe you've developed even during COVID possibly here recently. So what's working for you? Yeah, a couple of things that, that work well for me. One is, is I think you already alluded to it, right? So you plan the work and then work the plan. Um, so then that, that's key. So, so taking a moment to, to think about what it is you're trying to get done or what the time blocks are for the certain things you need to, to do. And then actually trying to execute it to the best of your ability, things will always come up. You know, there'll be distractions or, or different priorities that, that emerge. Um, so being flexible a little bit is also, I think, key because there have been times where sometimes I get so stressed about the fact that I wasn't able to execute my plan that I spend so much time stressing that I could have just made up for it or caught up for it, right? Um, and that ends up taking up even more time, which is a, which is a cycle that you want to try to avoid at all costs. Um, so, so that'd be one, one piece. And then the second one that, I, that I've already alluded to is about prioritization. Um, so you've mentioned also with, with other business leaders, but no one, no one can do it all, uh, but all can do some, uh, right? So we have to pick what, what it is that we want to do and, and then really like focus on, on, on driving value there. So make that, make that plan, uh, prioritize the plan and then, and just go, go get it. And you, you won't, it won't be perfect. But, but the imperfection is part of the perfection. So I definitely uh, learned that and, and realized that 
you know, you, you get what you can out of a certain time. And then if you really need to get something more or spend more time, then you revisit it or like, you know, look at, look at other ways to, to get that information, whether it's talking to your classmates, talking to the faculty advisors, et cetera. Um, but those would be two, two of mine. Fantastic. So, so here at the end, it's really not a question. It's more like an opportunity throng. You know, any, any advice you'd like to share to anybody listening to this, alumni, current students, future students, you know, members of the UCLA Village? Yeah, I, I think they just want to say thank you. Um, thank you, Dylan, for, for kind of taking the time to, to, to have this interview with me. Really glad to be a part of it. Um, thank you to Drew, Darcy, as well as uh, Samantha for, again, being kind of behind the scenes, but, but very much a key piece of making this a, a success. Um, and then thank you to all of those that, that tuned in and, and listened. Um, I think it's important that, you know, we collectively work together and, and we live kind of in a time right now where there's a lot of uncertainty, lots of changes, but to the ability that we can and the kind of the amount that we can, definitely think that we want to be the change we want to see. Um, and it takes a village, so so doing it together is, is kind of key. So we'll leave it at that, and, and thank you guys for, for, for your time. Well, thank you, Thurong, and thanks everyone for listening. Um, I waited three and a half months to get to conduct this interview. Uh, this is a gentleman who has high demands on his time because he's put himself into one of those post-MBA highly desired opportunities, M&A advisory at PwC. Not everybody gets to do that. There are a lot of people in the top MBAs who'd like to go to these type of firms and fill these type of roles and they're high demand requiring opportunities and Thurong, you know, earned the right to have his seat. And uh, I'm happy to have waited all summer to get to conduct this interview. Um, and, you know, Thurong, just what I would like to say to you on behalf of all of us, thank you for all three years of, of your FEMBA Council um, contribution of time as an internal rep, as the VP of hybrid, and ultimately being chosen to be FEMBA Council President. Thank you for all the hours that you gave that we know about. And more importantly, thank you for all the hours that you gave that we'll never know about. Um, the culture of Anderson uh, doesn't happen on accident. We don't share success because it's a bumper sticker. You know, people actually share success and it makes the place great. Thanks for being a double Bruin. You know, I'm not a Bruin by birth, I'm kind of adopted but I'm proud to be part of the legacy of Coach Wooden and part of this legacy of, of service, you know, to our society and our state and our world. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a treat to get to, to know more about your story. I didn't realize that your wife was a double Bruin. I, I actually didn't know that. So I learned something fun and new also. And um, I think your story will help people to maximize their story. And that's the whole point of this. So thank you again for your generous sharing of time with us on this Friday afternoon. And for everybody listening, thank you. This completes our 2020 Summer Spotlight Series as just to, to echo, you know, Samantha Holland and Darcy Hitt and Drew Mandenach. Thank you guys for uh, this game that we've played. Uh, from March through September here, we uh, said, hey, let's do something in COVID. And we've now conducted seven really, really great alumni interviews. And I'm proud to have had your all partnership and uh, we're not trying to go fast. We are trying to go far. So it does take a team to quote somebody named Thurong that I just heard quoting someone named Coach Wooden. So that's it for me. Thanks, Coach everybody. Wooden deserves a credit there. <laughs>